Will you join me in prayer right now? God, we do it all to you. There's no more powerful name than the name of Jesus. And Father, we lay it all down at your feet. We lay it all down at the cross today. God, remove all the distractions. Remove all that's gone on this morning and this week. Prepare our hearts. Open up our hearts and our minds, God, so that we can hear you speaking into our lives. We love and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, as you grab your seat, if you could pull out your outline this morning, I want to start with you by um, asking you a question. And um, the question for some of you is fun and for others of you is not quite so fun. Here's my question for you. When you woke up this morning and you looked into the mirror, what did you see? Some of you says it was scary. (laughs) Um, Maybe for some of you as you looked into the mirror, you saw those sleepy bags under your eyes. Um, Maybe you saw your hair and it was all wild and disheveled. And for some of you, you saw that you don't have hair anymore. Um, This morning as I looked into the mirror, I saw how I have this black eye that just doesn't want to go away from playing basketball this last week. But it's interesting that so often we look at the mirror in order to see our exterior. But when was the last time you looked into the mirror of your life? When was the last time that you looked deep within you and saw who you really were? See, sometimes one of the reasons that we can't look deep within us is because we're not satisfied with the exterior of ourselves. And so when we look in that mirror of our lives, what we notice is maybe um, not the beauty that God created, but maybe the nose that we don't like, or our eyebrows that aren't quite the way that we want them. And instead of looking deep within, what we say is, I'm ugly. I don't like the way that I look. Or maybe as you look at that mirror of your life, And as you see the reflection, instead of seeing this amazing creation that God created, you hear the words of people in your past echoing in your mind, and you hear that you're not good enough. And maybe the words of somebody were so powerful and impacted you so deep within you at your core that when you look at the mirror of your life, you think that you're unlovable. Maybe as you look at that mirror, instead of thinking about the fact that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, you're thinking about who you once were. You think about what you did in your past, and that past has now become your identity. And so as you look at that mirror, you see somebody that is unforgivable. Maybe you're on the opposite side of the equation. You're not one of those uns, but you're one of those, yeah. And as you look at that mirror of your life and you look into this, you have a false sense of reality that you truly believe that you are God's gift to this earth. And you're filled with pride. Or maybe as you look at that mirror of your life, you see that tough exterior. That exterior that you have made impenetrable because you don't want people to know the real you. So you keep them at an arm's distance away because if they knew the real you, if they knew who you really were on the inside, they would know what every single one of us deals with in varying degrees of our lives, that we're inadequate. And I don't know about you, but it's amazing how quickly in my own life I can feel incredibly inadequate. 
There are so many feelings of insecurity and inadequacy that bombard us day after day, moment after moment. Maybe for you, it's comparing yourself to someone that is financially successful. And you drive through a nice neighborhood of homes and you look to your right and you look to your left and you think, what is it about these people that is so different? Why can they have that and I can't? And so you try to compare yourself to a fake standard and you feel inadequate because you don't live in the right zip code according to your perspective. Or maybe you go to a friend's house and as you walk into her house, her house is perfect. It smells so wonderful. And as you walk through the door, you think about the house that you just left. And you have dirty laundry in the laundry room. You have unfolded clothes on the couch. And your house smells like laundry. And you walk into your friend's house and food is impeccably on time. Her hair is done and her nails are done perfect. And you love her because she's your friend, but you hate her because she's so perfect. (laughs) And she reminds you of how inadequate you are. Or maybe um, you struggle with spiritual inadequacies. It's like you're around that, you know, that super Christian. It's where you start to share something about your life, and at the drop of a hat, they, can, they look at you and say, oh, that reminds me of 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, and they quote it like that. And you're going, wait a minute. Is that even a book in the Bible? <laughs> How did you know that off of the top of your head? Or you're around that person that when they pray, it's as if the words of God are just exuding from their mouth. And God is looking down from heaven and saying, wow, that was an amazing prayer. And then they look at you and they say, hey, will you pray for dinner? And you're like, whoa, I feel so unholy. I don't know what to say. What am I supposed to do? But finally you relent because you don't want to look like this unspiritual person. You say, okay, let's pray. Rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for this grub. Amen. And everyone at the table is looking at you and you know they're thinking exactly what you're thinking about yourself. I stink as a Christian. I just don't measure up to everyone else. I'm so inadequate. For me in my life, I never felt so inadequate than the day that my oldest son was born. And I can remember back when when my wife had just given birth and I had the first chance to hold this new little angel of a baby. And I remember looking down at my son thinking, I don't have what it takes. How am I going to raise this little baby to become a godly man? I don't know what it looks like to be a godly man. Nobody ever showed me that. I'm going to be a failure as a parent. And I struggled with this inadequacy. In fact, listen to this story. My son was born a month early, so he was in the neonatal intensive care unit for a little bit of time. And so when I went in there to go see my little baby boy, and I was so excited to see him, I remember this pushy nurse. I can remember her face like it was yesterday. She grabs me by my shirt and she says, you dad, come with me. It's time to change the diaper. (laughs) All right, so let's do that. So I have younger siblings, and so I used to change diapers, but they were on, like, bigger babies. Never on these little infant miracles that was my son that cannot be broken. And so I remember he's on this little carrier thing that they have in there, and I get there, and and I start to pull off one 
tab so carefully because I don't want to wake him up. I don't want to disturb him. And I start to do the second tab. And the whole time, this nurse that was probably about this tall is literally breathing down my neck. And so if you've ever changed the diaper of a newborn baby, it's disgusting and sticky and black goo. And so I'm starting to do this. And then all of a sudden, this nurse literally pushes me out of the way. And she says, you dads, you're not good at this baby thing. And I can remember I already struggled with this inadequacy of being a parent. And then this nurse goes and just adds to these feelings of inadequacy. And I was overwhelmed. Like I'm not going to measure up. And then add to the fact what I do for a living. And you wouldn't believe how there are times that I feel so inadequate to be a pastor. Or so inadequate to stand before you to share God's word. I remember years ago when I was first called into ministry as a a youth pastor. And I remember thinking and praying to myself, but God, I'm not holy enough. God, my life isn't perfect. You know what I did in the past. Why would you allow me to speak your word? And God, I, I mean, I read your word, but I don't feel as though I'm qualified enough to be able to share this to the next generation. And so I struggled with these feelings of inadequacy. And when we really boil it down, what they were, were they were lies that I was telling myself. And they were lies that I was hearing in order to keep me from doing what God had called me to do. So friend, why is it that we battle with thoughts of inadequacy? This morning, what I want to do is I want to build a foundation for you. And we're going to look at the story of Gideon and how Gideon dealt with the same kind of inadequacies that every single one of us deal with that keeps us from being who God created us to be. And so how do we feel inadequate? I have three ideas for you. There were tons more than this, but these are my top three picks. So if you want to take a fill them in on your outline as we go, and we were so gracious to you, we gave you the first one right away. The first one is this, is that we deal with unfair criticism. Somewhere along the way in your life, someone told you that you don't measure up. Someone told you that you don't have what it takes. Someone told you that I don't like you. Someone told you that I wish I never had had you. That you're pathetic. That you're never going to amount to anything. Someone told you that I wish you were more like your brother. Or I wish that you were more like your sister. And so as a result of feeling these unfair criticism, we have these messages that replay in our mind over and over again that taps into our inner me that says, I'm not adequate, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not capable of doing what God has called me to do. The second one, which is on the other end of the spectrum, is that we deal with unrealistic compliments. You're the best. You're amazing. No one as good as you are. But inside we're saying, you don't know me. I'm not as good as you say I am. I'm not that amazing. And my theory is this. My theory is that we are doing harm to the emerging generation because we tell them that they are good at everything. It wasn't that long ago that I was growing up, but when I was, you actually had to win to get a trophy. You actually had to be good at something in order to win an award. Now it's like we take everybody, even if they only made it one time to the practice, 
We give them the MVP trophy so that they can feel wonderful about themselves. When I was growing up, you had to go through 12 years of school in order to graduate. Now, they make it to preschool and they graduate. They make it to kindergarten and they graduate. They make it to fifth grade and they graduate. They make it to eighth grade and they graduate and maybe even ninth grade. It's as if we're telling the next generation, the kindergartners, congratulations, you're a great napper. Here's your award. We're telling them that they're so good at everything that they have these unrealistic compliments constantly bombarding them. And as a result, the next generation and even every single one of us, we're handicapped from doing what God has called us to do because we have a fear of failure, that we're not going to measure up to the expectations someone else has set for us. Because from our perspective, they view us up here, but in reality, we think we're down here. We feel incredibly inadequate. First one, unfair criticism. Second one, unrealistic compliments. And the third one that I think is becoming even more common today is that we have unwise comparisons. Unwise comparisons. We look at other people and we say, I'm not like them. I'm not as attractive as she is. I'm not as smart as he is. Or in the Christian world, we say, I'm not as spiritual as that person is. I read as I was preparing this message that social media is now one of the greatest causes of inadequacy in people's lives. Because what happens is, is you upload a picture of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Instagram And then you look at your friends on there and your friend has posted a picture of eating this beautiful lobster with a picture of their shiny brand new diamond ring on the beach in Hawaii. And you look at that and you're going, my life stinks. I don't go on fancy vacations. I don't even like seafood, but that looks good. And you start to compare the fact that you have 172 friends or followers and your friends have 900 and 12. And you go through this unwise comparison that says, I am a social media failure. (laughs) I love this quote about social media. It says this, we compare others' highlight reels with our behind the scenes. See, we look at everybody else's highlights, but yet we know what happens behind the scenes in each of our lives. We see them with their kids, and their kids are behaved perfectly. And then we know that we just yelled at our kids and our kids are out in public and they have mismatched socks and we're thinking, I'll never amount to a parent like they are. Or we stand in church and we worship like we just did and we see people with their arms raised and they're crying out to Jesus and we look at them and we think about our own internal doubts and we feel so inadequate as a worshiper of Jesus. We compare our behind the scenes with their highlight reels. And suddenly, in every single one of our minds, we start to tell ourselves that we are not when our God wants to tell us that we are. And it's interesting that as we look at Scripture this morning, one man, Gideon, he struggled with the same types of feelings of inadequacy that I truly believe many of us deal with as well. But our God had so much more in store for him. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Judges chapter 6. And let me set the stage for you. So our God had rescued the people of Israel from Egypt. He had cared for them in the wilderness and brought them into the land that he had promised to give them. 
And under the leadership of Joshua, they moved out into the promised land. And little by little by little, they started to take possession of the land and settle in it. And for a time, things went so well. But as often is the case, when things get easier, people get a little bit lax. And so the children of Israel stopped honoring God and stopped obeying him. And they really stopped observing what God had told them to do. And so um, they began to follow, lose their call to follow God. But yet, our God had promised them a blessing. And he had promised them that if they did not live in obedience, if they did not follow his instructions, if they did not honor him, that it would not go well for them. So now the Israelites in this area were surrounded by their enemies. One of their enemies in particular were the Midianites. And what the Midianites would do is they were able to get some of the other groups in the areas kind of into an alliance. And what would happen is, is that when the Israelites were just at harvest time, when they're just ready to harvest all of their crops, the Midianites and their allies would come storming into the area and steal the harvest from the Israelites. And if they weren't able to steal it, at minimum, they would light it on fire in order to make life miserable for the Israelites. This went on for seven long years. And the Israelites hadn't been able to do anything about it. Then it dawned on them. The reason that they were having such a hard time was that they were no longer trusting the Lord. They were no longer honoring him with their lives. They were no longer living in obedience to him. And so finally they kind of figured it out and they cried out to him. And it's in this situation of fear that Gideon comes onto the scene. And he knew that it was about time for the Midianites and their allies to come and make a mess of their crops again. The problem for Gideon was that he felt so inadequate that he didn't really know what to do about it. So much so that we find him, what I truly believe, in a really awkward situation. So if you could, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 is where we will start. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Let me stop there for just a second. Now as we read that and not necessarily understanding how we aren't, many of us aren't like wheat harvesters, so we could just read past that like, oh, that's a normal thing. But in, in that day and even in the Middle East today, when they would harvest wheat, what they would do is they would take the wheat and they would put it on a giant slab of rock called a threshing floor. And they would beat the wheat and as the wind was blowing, they would throw it up in the air and the chaff or the outside coating of it would blow away and they would be left with the harvest wheat. But that's not what Gideon was doing. No, it says that Gideon was in a wine press, which is a complete opposite thing that you would do and something that's not even intended for this purpose. The wine press was literally a stone carved out area that you kind of see there that would be out of the wind, out of sight. And what they would do is they would put all the grapes in there and they would literally have people come in and smash down those grapes to get the juice out of it so they could make wine. But yet Gideon wasn't on the threshing floor he was in the wine press, and he was hiding because he was afraid. He was trying to keep the wheat for himself and for his family because he was terrified of the enemy. And that's where we pick up in verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The NIV version of this, um, instead of saying man of valor, calls him a mighty warrior. But when I think back to that picture, instead of being out in the open, instead of out threshing wheat the way you would normally do it, but him hiding, it doesn't make me think of him as a mighty man of valor or a mighty warrior. 
In fact, if we were there, we probably wouldn't describe him like that at all. We'd say, you're a wuss. You're a scaredy cat. You're hiding. Why aren't you going out where you should be? You're scared of your enemies. But the Lord saw something in him that he didn't see in himself yet. Let's look at verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Now, verse 15 says something that's very, very interesting. We see that whenever God calls, whenever he empowers us, whenever he leads us to do something, our enemy is going to tell us that we're not. Our enemy is going to tell us why we can't do something that our God has already said that we can do. And listen to what Gideon said after God had told him what to do. He said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You might say it this way. You might say, well, I'm not as talented as others. I'm not as good as other people. I can't sing. I'm not that bright. I'm not as godly as you would expect for someone to do it. If you knew what I had done in my past, there's no way you would ever ask me. I don't look like this person or I'm not as talented as this person. And all of these inner me messages try to tell you why you can't do what our God has already said you can do. Listen to verse 16 and listen to the Lord's response. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike down the Midianites as one man. God said, I'm going to be with you. We're going to do this together. We're going to be victorious together. So let me give you a few thoughts that we can take and, and really put them into our lives as well as we look at the story of Gideon. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that when your inner me voices those messages of insecurity or inadequacy, Remember that our God's view of you is different than you think. Our God's view of you is different than you think. Because our God sees more in you than often we see in ourselves. Remember back in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon who was hiding. And everything about his physical action said, I'm afraid. But our God came right alongside him and said, I am with you, you mighty warrior, you man of valor. Because our God saw more in Gideon than Gideon saw in himself. But see, the message that the evil one wants us to buy in our lives is that God views us the same way that we view ourselves. So our same inadequacy, our God views that in us. Our same failures, our God looks at those. But that's not what scripture says. That's not what our God says. Our God is here to tell you today that you can do more than you believe because our God views you better than you view yourself. I love what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Let me say that again. We are God's masterpiece. Our God does not make mistakes. Our God does not make accidents. We are his masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he prepared and planned for us long ago. Friend, do you realize 
that before you were ever born, God had a heavenly to-do list that was exactly for you and nobody else. God created you with everything you need and created you for his purpose to carry out his view of this world, his purpose for you. But yet so often, we allow our blinders. We allow who we see in that mirror of our lives to keep us from becoming who God created us to be. I mean, think about some biblical characters for a second. All the way back in the Old Testament. Um, What about Rahab? Others viewed her as a prostitute and thought she would never amount to anything but a prostitute. But our God saw her for far more than that. And so God saw a woman that would turn her heart towards him. A woman that would marry a godly man who eventually would give birth to generations that would lead to the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, through the genealogy of a prostitute. What about David when he was a young boy? His brothers and everyone around him, they viewed him as merely a shepherd boy. And that was all that he was ever going to be was a shepherd boy. But our God saw in him so much more. God saw in him a mighty warrior that would slay a giant. What about when David got older and sin entangled him just as sin entangles every single one of us? While others would have said he's an adulterer, our God said, no, that is a man that is after my own heart. What about Peter? Peter failed again and again and again and again and again some more. And he couldn't seem to get it right. But what did Jesus see in Peter? Jesus saw the rock that the church would be built upon. Jesus saw the rock, the man that who would one day become the guest speaker at Pentecost. See, when others see you or when you see yourself, for some of you today, I believe that God has you here to hear this very simple message. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. God's view of you is different than what you think. And God has put more in you than you realize. First point, God's view of you is different than you think. And the second one is God has given you more than you think. God has given you more than you think. I love in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 14, I love what God says to Gideon. God says to Gideon, go and take a class to get ready for this calling. Wait, that's not what it says. Um, No, no. God says, go and enroll in ITT tech or into college so that you can be ready for this call. Nope, it doesn't say that either. Uh, No, no, no. Uh, It it says, go and read a bunch of books so that you can understand in your head if all the way this works. No, God's word doesn't say that either. God's word simply says two letters, go. God's word says to go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that I've given you. God is saying, am I not sending you? Go and use what I've already given you. Go and use the strength that I have given you. Go and use the talents and the abilities that I supernaturally gifted you with to go and do a purpose that I have planned ahead for you. The problem is, as our inadequacy gets in the thoughts, in the way of those thoughts. And we start to allow those negative messages to say, I don't measure up. That my talents aren't as great as somebody else's talents. My abilities aren't as great as somebody else. So if I just sit on the sideline and I allow that other person that I believe is more talented than I am to do that, well, then God's will be carried out better than if I did it myself. But you know what? Like I said, God views you different than you think. But God has gifted you in amazing ways. And sometimes 
We don't tap into those gifts because we allow our inadequacies to keep us and God arm's distance away. It's interesting that as I think back to my life, there have been times where I've allowed my own insecurity to kind of get the best of me. Um, years ago, I was called to be part of a Bible study fellowship and brought into leadership on it. And as part of that role, um, myself and one other guy, we had to fly to San Antonio, Texas for a week of training at, at BSF's headquarters. And as we got off the plane and we met in this little area and they got onto this charter bus, I remember looking around on the bus and it's like, there's nobody like me here at all. And as we got in and we settled into this big kind of auditorium where they were going to do the training, I look around and I noticed something about the room. I was by far the youngest person in the room by at least 15 or 20 years. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, why would you have me come to this place? I'm not as uh, experienced as these people. I'm young and they're looking down on me because I just don't fit in with this group of people. And I remember feeling there, sitting there like, God, this is a mistake. Why would you send me here? I could have stayed home and been with my family. This is just a waste of time because they know more than I know. And so at the end of the week, after going through all of this training, um, the, the executive director would sit down with every single person that was at the training. And I remember sitting down with the executive director and we were talking about the training, talking about what it would be like to have a men's BSF here in Stockton. And I remember her stopping, literally in the middle of a sentence, and I remember looking at me right in the eye and saying, you know what, Scott, God has just put a verse on, on my heart that I truly believe he wants me to share with you. And he said, say, he, she said this, it comes out of 2 Timothy 2.15. Do, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. For me, in that moment, that's God's way of saying, Scott, you are exactly where you should be. Your age doesn't matter. Your life experience doesn't matter. I've given you all that you need for this time. I love how powerful scripture is. I love how it just speaks right into the depths of our hearts and right into the depths of our lives. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. It says that God's divine power has given us what? God's divine power has given us everything we need. Friend, is God holding back from you? Absolutely not. Sometimes we hold back from him, but he never holds back from us. Scripture says that he gives us everything we need for what? For life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. See, it's as we seek after God that he pours himself into us. It's as we pour into his love letter to every single one of us that his word comes alive to us in each one of our lives so that we can understand those gifts that he's given us, so that we can walk in the strength that he has given us, so that we can carry out the purpose that God has set for every single one of us. But you know what the problem is? Those lies repeat themselves. And, and as you hear that God is calling you to do something amazing, bigger than yourself, what you start to say is, well, Scott, I'm not a stage person. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of person. And Jesus says, yeah, and behind the scenes, those who are the greatest are those that serve. You might be the greatest in the kingdom of God, but you're so busy sitting on your rumper that you're not experiencing what God's going to do in and through you. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, Scott, I'm not a six-figure kind of person. I don't make a ton of money, so I can't do all these things that my kids seem to need so they can fit in with everyone else. 
But maybe because you don't make that much money, you're able to be home with your kids. And you're able to spend six or seven nights a week investing your time and your care into the next generation that's going to make far more of an impact than your 401k or your bank account ever will. Maybe you're sitting there saying, you know what? When someone comes to me and they share with me something going on in their lives, I don't know what to say. I just kind of get garbled up and my tongue gets tied and, and I just say the wrong thing. But I'm a really good listener. Listen to this. More lives have been changed by a good listener than by somebody who just spouts off whatever comes to their mind like that. Because you going and listening, you literally are sitting there and being the presence of God to other people. So friend, let me say this to you as clearly as I can say it. Don't you ever, don't you ever insult our God by talking about what you don't have. Because our God has given you everything you need in this life. Number one, God's view of you is different than you think. Number two, God has given you more than you can think. And number three, are you ready for this one? It's less about you than you think. It's less about you than you think. This is what the Lord said to Gideon. The Lord said in verse 16, I will be what? I will be with you when you strike down the Midianites together. God says what? I will be with you. Do you remember all the way back in the beginning of our text today? The angel appeared to Gideon and the angel said the Lord is what? The Lord is with you, you man of valor, you mighty warrior. See, it was less about Gideon and it was more about God. It was more about God's power than Gideon's strength. Listen to this. When God calls you to do something, it's more about the presence of God than it's about what you can do in your strength. See, we aren't the main characters in the story. It's God's story to write and it's God's story that is being carried out in your life. It's less about us than we think. That's why we, as believers, are to take down our lives, to lay them at the foot of the cross so that we're not what others say we are, but we're who God says we are. We lay it down. I told you earlier that at times I feel inadequate to be a pastor. It's true. Because in my own strength, in my own abilities, I am incredibly inadequate. But when I rely upon God's strength, when I rely upon his power, his goodness, his grace, at that point it's not about me, it's about him and about his calling on my life. And in the same way, when you rely upon God's goodness, when you rely upon God's plan, when you rely upon his power and his strength in your life, it's more about him and less about you. But you say, I'm not good enough. No, step into his grace. But you say, I'm not smart enough. No, step into his power. Because it's through his power in your weakness that is made perfect. You say, well, I'm not as pretty as she is. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter about anybody else. It doesn't matter what she has. Because that's not who God's worried about in this moment. He's worried about you and him. He's worried about this power and the gifts and the abilities he's given you. And he's saying, stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Because he cares about you and solely you 
Or you say, I'm not going to be adequate as a parent. No. Step into the calling that God has given you. In every step of the way, God will give you everything that you need. If our God calls you, our God equips you. You have everything you need to do everything that he has called you to do. If you say, I can't do it, you're right. You can't. But when you allow God to work through you, there are going to be amazing things that are going to be done in and through your life. Let's go all the way back to Gideon's life as we conclude this morning. As we look at Gideon, God used Gideon to impact lives far bigger than Gideon would have ever imagined when we first scratched the surface of his story today. He had Gideon stand up to his entire community and pull down an altar that they had made to false gods. He confirmed to Gideon again and again and again the call that he had put on his life through the fleece. And then God took an army of 32,000 men and brought it down to 300 inadequate men, armed them with a trumpet and a torch, and they defeated their enemies. It was through their inadequacy that our God showed that he was adequate. So friend, today, as we look at the cross, are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to lay down those negative messages? Are you willing to lay down your inadequacy and allow God to pour himself into you? Because with him, you are so adequate for what he has called you to do. Join me in prayer this morning. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you that this is a message that for many of us here is kind of uncomfortable to hear. Because God, we hold up that tough exterior We hold up uh, how we have everything together because that's what our culture says is the right way to handle things. Um, Even in the church, God, we don't want people to know that we're struggling. God, we don't want people to know that we don't have it together because, well, that would change their perspective of us. God, I thank you that you have called us not to live for the perspective of man, but you've called us to live for the perspective of an audience of one, and that being you. And so, Father, today... As your Holy Spirit stirs in this room, as your Holy Spirit stirs in each one of our lives, God, I pray that we can take our inadequacy, that we can take those negative messages, that we can take those lies that the evil one has caught us hook, line, and sinker, that, God, we can lay it down at the foot of the cross, that we can lay it down and know that you, God, are victorious over every aspect of our lives. God, I thank you that you have a plan, that you have a purpose for every single one of us. And God, I thank you that you intended amazing works for every single one of us. And so God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will stir those that are sitting on the sidelines. Those that think that others can do better than you can do through them. And God, I pray that they will jump in. That they will take that step of faith and say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to see how you view me different than I view myself. And God, I want you to write your story in and through me. God, you are are so amazing. God, you are an amazing God. And as we think about the mirror of our lives, God, I thank you that there's only one name that matters, that there's only one person that matters in that mirror, and it's how you shine in and through us, through your son Jesus. We praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.